Welcome to Poetry Lectures, featuring talks by poets, scholars, and educators, presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, we hear poets Vera Pavlova from Russia and Valgina Mort from Belarus, speaking with the director of the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute, Ilya Kaminsky. Valgina Mort was born in Minsk, Belarus, in 1981. She has received many awards for her poetry in Europe and made her American debut in 2008 with the collection Factory of Tears. You'll hear Mort describe how the Belarusian language and literary history was nearly eradicated by the policies of the Soviet Union. As part of the effort to revitalize the language, she writes in both Belarusian and English. Vera Pavlova was born in 1963 in Moscow. She was educated in some of Russia's best music schools and has written extensively about music, including her thesis on Shostakovich. Pavlova began writing poetry after the birth of her first daughter. Since then, she has published over a dozen collections of poetry, and her work has been translated into many languages. In addition to poetry, Pavlova has written four opera librettos and lyrics to two cantatas. We'll hear her read a poem in Russian by Maxim Amelin, as well as some of her own poems. This conversation took place at the Poetry Foundation in October 2012. It begins with Vera Pavlova giving a quick description of the current poetry scene in Russia. Pavlova speaks in Russian, and Valgina Mort provides the English interpretation. I'm very afraid of big words. I'm very afraid of conversations about general topics. For example, poetry. Just like Daniel Harms, I prefer to joke about it. Uh, poetry is just a cupboard. But for me, poetry is not a cupboard, but uh, my telephone book. Well, in general, my telephone book consists of phone numbers of poets. About 10 phone numbers to different taxi drivers, and the rest are poets. And I would like to talk about all of them. Because I love all of them. It is not true that poets do not like each other, that they're jealous of each other, and that they are at each other's throats. In truth, when two poets see each other on the street, they jump to each other to hug each other. А встречаться приходится не только на улицах Москвы, но и в разных странах. And they get to meet each other not only on the streets of Moscow, but at different festivals around the world. For example, Valjina is sitting in front of me right now, and um, I got to um, jump up to her and hug her, uh, not only at a festival in Rotterdam, but also on a small island of St. Lucia and now here in Chicago. And now to my list. Well, first name that starts with letter A, first letter of the alphabet, is Alexei Alyokhin. And another A is um, 
a journal, a literary journal Arion, and um, Alyohin is its main editor. Собственно, все, что нужно любопытному американскому читателю, это выучить русский язык и подписаться на журнал Arion. And all that an American reader needs is to learn Russian and to buy a subscription to Arion. Это русский аналог журнала Poetry. Arion is a Russian equivalent of uh, American magazine Poetry. Но если американский журнал Poetry выходит ежемесячно, то в русской поэзии хватает хороших стихов только на четыре журнала в год. But while poetry is published monthly, uh, Russian uh, Arion has enough poem, good poems to be published only four times a year. Но я вас могу уверить, что если вы прочитаете эти журналы, вы составите полное представление о состоянии русской поэзии на сегодняшний день. But I can assure you that if you read this magazine, you will get a very good idea of the state of contemporary Russian poetry. Could you perhaps tell us about one particular Russian poet that you would like Americans to know more about? А список почитать не дадите. Can I read the list? У меня нет времени рассказать о своих друзьях. To tell about my friends. Какое несчастье. What misery. Вам придется пригласить меня еще раз и дать мне часа три-четыре. You'll have to invite me again and give me some three-four hours. Хорошо, я прочитаю стихотворение. Максима Амелина. Okay, I'm going to start with a poem of Maxim Amelin. Он не только мой хороший друг, he's not just my good friend, но и один из лучших молодых поэтов в настоящий момент в России. But one of the best contemporary Russian poets. Он не просто очень талантливый поэт, но и своего рода ученый. He's not just a very talented poet, but he's also a scientist of a sort. С достаточно широким размахом. He has a very wide range. Например, он полностью перевел книгу Катула Веронского. For example, he has fully translated a book by Catullus of Verona. При этом он действительно знает латынь и греческий. And he really knows Greek and Latin. И кроме этого, он издал знаменитого графомана XIX века графа Хвостова. He has also published a famous graphomaniac of the 19th century, Duke Хвостов. Амелин развивает интересную и нетронутую область русского стихосложения. Амелин develops an interesting and not very developed uh, area of Russian verse. Через голову Пушкина он обратился к поэтике XVIII века. Through... Um... Uh, having stepped over the Pushkin's head, he turned to the poetry of 18th century. Ломоносов, Державин, Тредьяковский, вот кто вдохновляет Максима Амелина. He's inspired by Ломоносов, Державин, Тредьяковский. И возвышенным слогом 18 века он пишет о нарывающих событиях современности. And with this highbrow language of the 18th century, he writes about contemporary relevant Russian issues. Стихотворение, которое я прочитаю, посвящено трагическим событиям в московском метро. The poem that I'm going to read addresses the tragic events in Russian metro. В результате взрыва в вагоне погиб 41 человек. As a result of an explosion uh, in a, at a metro station, uh, 41 people died. Стихотворение имеет эпиграф. Амелин, как ты смеешь писать стихи после 11 сентября? Андрей Василевский. Каждый божий день, кроме выходных и праздничных, когда без надобности особой смысла нет из дому выдвигаться в сторону центра с невыносимым скрежетом, скрипом, сипом, 
визгом и лязгом, царапающим и дерущим насквозь, барабанные перепонки на сумасшедшей скорости, поезд подземный привычно проносит меня мимо того самого места между Автозаводской и Павелецкой, где моего приятеля, не из близких, тихого человека и семьянина, каких еще поискать, собутыльника мирового и страстного книжника, ни гроша не стяжавшего честным себе трудом, Борю Гелиптера, поменив в молитвах его живущий, разорвала в куски во время взрыва 6 февраля 2004 года от Рождества Христова в пятницу 32 минуты 9, едущего на работу в утренний час пик, не подозревая, что ему, бедолаге, за 54 дня до 43 летия в самое средоточье угодить, о, случайность бессмысленная суждено. И приходят мне в голову то проклятие гневные тем, кто отдал, не дрогнув страшный приказ, и тем, кто, сознавая и ведая, что творит, исполнил. Пусть не будет покоя ни на том, ни на этом свете, ни в холодных могилах, ни в жарких постелях телам их не спится, а душам готовится карра сугубая то смиренные мысли о том, что непостижим человеческому разумению небесный промысел тайный, и к нему подступаться с мерой земной бесполезно, что рождение смертных, жизнь и кончина в руках у Творца всех блаженных своих обратно зовущего. Да пребудет благословен возлюбленный мной, то предчувствия смутные, Мол, если общего дела философ окажется прав и точнейших данных для грядущего воскрешения понадобится цифирь, можно будет ее почерпнуть отсюда и в оправдание горьких слов иного мыслителя доказать, что поэзия после Освенцима и ГУЛАГа, кровавых революций и войн, Хиросимы, Багдада, Нью-Йорка, может быть, но какой? Кто знает, возможно, такой». The epigraph. Amelian, how dare you write poetry after 9-11? A. Vasilevsky. Every blooming day, save Sundays and holidays, when it makes no sense to leave home to go downtown, unless for a pressing reason, the subway with unbearable racket Din squealing, scraping, and clanking that grate on eardrums and drill right through them, snatches me up and whisks me, as usual, at breakneck speed, past the spot between the Avrazavodskaya and Pavilyetskaya stations, the very spot where a friend of mine, not a close friend, a quiet chap, a real family man, a rarity these days, a great drinking companion and a bookworm whose honest work had not brought him a single penny in savings, whose name was Boris Gelipter, remember that name in your prayers, the living, was blown to shreds by a bomb blast on Friday, February 6th, Anna Domini, 2004, at 8.32 in the morning, on the way to work, during the rush hour, 
and the poor man knew not that he was destined to end up fifty-four days prior to his forty-third birthday, or the absurd coincidence. In the thick of it, which at times drives me to cursing in anger, those who without a shudder gave the terrible order, and those who knowingly and deliberately carried it out, May they never know peace, neither here nor in the hereafter. May their bodies enjoy no sleep, neither in cold graves nor in hot beds. May their souls be punished harshly. And at times I humbly reckon that it is not our lot to grasp the mysterious waves of heaven, that in vain we apply to them our earthly yardsticks that birth, life, and death of mortals are in the hands of the Creator, who calls all the blessed back. May those I love abide by me, and at times dark premonitions overwhelm me. If it turns out that the philosopher of the common cause is right, and the future resurrection will require exact and measurable evidence, it is available here, and in a refutation of bitter claims of some thinkers, it will be possible to prove that after Auschwitz, the gulag, after the bloodshed of upheavals and wars, after Hiroshima, Baghdad, New York, poems indeed can be written. But what kind? Who knows? Maybe like this one. Thank you. It's a powerful piece. Uh, an interesting thing is the poem about a real event, about a real tragedy, and at the same time it goes through the la layers of language going back to the 18th century diction. And in some ways it reminds of other innovative Russian poets, even Brodsky in 1960s went back to the 18th century Russian to recover a certain diction and to change Russian poetry to fill it with a new content. So it's wonderful to hear this poet do it again. Uh, would you perhaps uh, share with us one of your own poems as well, Vera? С удовольствием. With pleasure. I'm going to read two poems about poetry. Первое оценивает мои шансы на бессмертие. Как вы услышите, довольно скромные по мою по моему представлению. The first poem measures my chances for immortality. For immortality. Uh, you'll see that uh, by my estimation, they are rather modest. Записывая стихи, порезала бумагой ладонь. Царапина, продолжила линию жизни примерно на четверть. Writing down verses, I got a paper cut on my palm. The cut extended my lifeline by nearly one-fourth. И еще одна. Стихотворение «Автоответчик». Автор вышел, вряд ли вернется. Если хотите, оставьте сообщение после того, как услышите выстрел. A poem is a voicemail. The poet has stepped out. Most likely will not be back. Please leave a message after you hear a gunshot. Thank you very much. What a great way to end. Um, hi, Valjana. 
Oh, hi. If you don't mind uh, speaking to us a little bit about a poet, perhaps from Belarus, whose work you would like to share with an American audience, that would be really wonderful. Well, to continue with our topic of poetry after certain events and gunshots, uh, I have to say um, it is it is surprising to me that there is any contemporary Belarusian poetry after the history of Belarusian poetry. While uh, it um, while poets started writing in medieval ages, kind of religious and state texts, uh, the poet, Belarusian poetry completely disappeared off uh, the page. Uh, while Belarus was a part of Polish and Russian empires because Polish and Russian languages were mediums of communication and um, literature. And only in a late 19th, early 20th century, uh, poets turned back to Belarusian language and um, started writing a lot uh, and kind of trying to compensate for the centuries of silence. Uh, however... Belarus is a very small country, and poets are very catchable <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by the regime. And so, when Stalin came to power uh, in the 30s, everybody was captured. And for instance, uh, only in one night, the night of from 19th to the 20th of um, October in 1937, 34 young poets were shot together. So uh, Belarusian literature had to really embrace the period of social realism. And that's the um, heritage that poets in the 90s and today have, um, have to work with. So um, there is a lot of excitement about reinventing Belarusian poetry or rather just simply inventing it, uh, but also a lot of frustration of working without a long tradition and uh, having to having a tradition of people who were either killed because they did not compromise themselves or people who were very talented but had to compromise themselves to survive. So um, today it's a, um, a poetry that develops in all in all directions. Uh, we are um, located at cultural crossroads between the West and the East. So there is a lot of influence of Russian poetry, but uh, especially of Silver Age, and then uh, Russian avant-gardists, but also Polish poetry and um, Baltic poetry and um, West European poetry. And um, it's also poetry that kind of develops hand in hand with with Ukrainian poetry, and um, while um, those poets in the earlier twentieth century were uh, trying to write the so called national poem, poets today uh, are more concerned and frustrated over just writing writing an epic, right? Because we have to start from the beginning. So we have to start with um, with Homer. <laughs> we have to recreate um, centuries of literature. And um, a lot of it is done through translating world literature into Belarusian and thus appropriating it instead of writing, writing it out. And um, while um, this... Um, the attitude towards having to correspond to the great epics and to the great canonical authors of the West today is taken more ironically than um, it was in, in the 90s. 
for instance, a young uh, Belarusian poet, Mikhail Bayarin, uh, writes a poem um, about creating a Homer. I, I will just read it out. It, I think it will speak for itself. Creating a Homer is less complicated than you might imagine. All you need is exquisite taste and some patience. A pair of scissors, there are still countries almost unknown. Otherwise, there are words with vague meanings, enough beautiful names, and besides, abundance of archives and forgotten poets. At least a week, at max half a century, will be needed to montage and live and to form a circle of incurably blind madmen that everybody would take for a school on Rhode or Caius Island. And it would be good to keep it all a secret, but especially the slogan, Homer gets only the best, and then everything will work out. It's a very interesting parallel here. Vera just read for us a poem in Russian that sounds beautifully in Russian because it takes uh, ages-old techniques and brings them into modern relevance. And on the other side, Valjuna just read a poem in Belarusian, which speaks back to tradition and makes it very relevant today, making a new tradition today. You mentioned it, Valjuna, that um, there are a lot of foreign influences on Belarusian poetry. Could you speak perhaps about that as well? Uh, yes, I uh, I think that Belarusian poetry right now is desperately looking for its f- form, form that would be its own, not the the form of not this melodic poetic texture borrowed from the Russian Silver Age poetry, uh, but also not the um, just the free, uh, for example, American free verse, uh, which is very appealing to some uh, young poets. But um, they're looking for a form that would um, let the Belarusian language blossom in it, that would represent the Belarusian language. Because I, th- I think we have enough subject, enough topics and subjects to write about. Um, and now uh, the question is, um, what is the form? What is the mold in, into which we want to put these subjects? Um, but also sort of how to, how to talk about all of these issues without disturbing the silence uh, that we had about them for centuries. Topics like, for instance, Chernobyl. Uh, there is a lot of talk about why Belarusian poets are not writing enough about Chernobyl. Um, how do you write poems after Chernobyl? And Belarusian um, uh, poetic response have been mainly with silence because the um, forms available to Belarusian poets um, today are the borrowed forms. And um, we, we cannot write uh, in them about something that is uh, so, so that represents such a deep wound of uh, Belarusian people that we can respond only with silence to it. So how how do you write about it? What kind of form can um, talk about it but not disturb this uh, much-needed silence? And um, I think as a young poet, I would cannot speak for everybody, but as a young poet in Belarus, I turned a lot to, the, to Polish poets. And... Um, 
to see what kind of forms they were able to find. And I would um, I would like to bring up two names, uh, a Polish poet, Rafał Wajacek and Anna Svir. I think Anna Svir is known to American readers. There are her poems in anthologies, and also um, Kopikinian has um, a collection of her poems uh, called Talking to My Body. But uh, I want to talk about uh, her poems from a book, Building Barricades, because that's a book that describes her experience during World War II. It's a book that took more than 30 years to write. And uh, it took so long for for Svir to write about these experiences, I think because she was looking for a proper form to express this um, these experiences. And um, the form that she ended up choosing is very different from uh, Eastern European World War II poetry. It's not, uh, again, it's completely stripped of this poetic texture. Uh, And unlike most of Eastern European poetry, it is not formal. It is very prosaic, completely stripped of images and metaphors, which again are very characteristic of Eastern European poetry. So... The poem that I'm going to read um, is called Papirasnice's Brilliantami, an ashtray encrusted with diamonds. I'm going to read it in Polish, and then I'm going actually translate it just on the spot. Because, just to make a point, because the lines, uh, the syntax and the words are so simple that um, I, I didn't have to bring, to bring a translation. Przybiega do doktora. Krzyczy, że męża trafi obrzuch. Przynosi mu pieniądze, przynosi futro, przynosi pieprośnicę z brylliantami. Doktor nie poszedł do tego, którego trafiło brzuch. Bał się przebiec przez ulicę. She runs to a doctor and screams that her husband was shot in the stomach. She brings him money, she brings him furs, she brings him an ashtray encrusted with diamonds. Doctor did not go to that man who was shot in the stomach. Doctor was afraid to cross the street. That was Valgina Mort reading An Ashtray Encrusted with Diamonds by Polish poet Anna Svir. She concludes the program by reading her own poem, Factory of Tears, first in Belarusian, then in English. I will read um, a poem called uh, Fabrika Slios, Factory of Tears in Belarusian and then in English. And I didn't have a chance to read a Rafael Jacek poem, but the form that he pursued was uh, a kind of a spell. The poems were spells. And um, it, it... I think that's something that um, this poem, I try to do in this poem. I znowu po wynikach chodu samych wysokich pokazalników dosiągnęła fabryka slios. Pokój Ministerstwa Transportu taptała pcasy, pokój Ministerstwa Serdecznych Sprawą biła się w histeryce, fabryka slios pracowała po noczach, nawet po światach stawiła rekordy wytwórczości. U czas kalistancja po pracowcy jeży pierażowała czarchową katastrofu. Fabryka slios pierejszła na ekonomiczną rentabilną, pierapracowką odchodą minulaha, halonym czynom osobistych uspominą. 
Фотоздымки работника угода урочисто разместили на стене плачу. Я инвалид працы фабрики героя слез. У меня новачок мазали, у меня перелом щек. Мне платят за рубок продукции, которую я вырабляю. И я счастливая тем, что маю. And once again, according to the annual report, the highest productivity results were achieved by the Factory of Tears. While the Department of Transportation was breaking heels, while the Department of Heart Affairs was beating hysterically, the Factory of Tears was working night shifts, setting new records even on holidays. While the food refinery station was trying to digest another catastrophe, the Factory of Tears adopted a new economically advantageous technology of recycling the wastes of the past, memories mostly. The pictures of the employees of the year were placed on the wall of tears. I am a recipient of workers' comp from the heroic factory of tears. I have calluses on my eyes. I have compound fractures on my cheeks. I receive my wages with the product I manufacture. And I'm happy with what I have. That was Valgina Mort reading her poem, Factory of Tears. The conversation with Ilya Kaminsky was recorded at the Poetry Foundation in Chicago on October 23, 2012, as part of International Poets in Conversation and was sponsored by the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute. Valgina Mort has four books of poetry in English, most recently Factory of Tears and Collected Body. Both are available from Copper Canyon Press. Vera Pavlova has written over a dozen books of poetry in Russian and one book in English, titled If There Is Something to Desire. Translations of her poems appear in several anthologies, including contemporary Russian poetry and new European poets. You can learn more about Vera Pavlova and Valgina Mort and the Harriet Monroe Poetry Institute by visiting poetryfoundation.org, where you'll also find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from PoetryFoundation.org.